Welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Dylan. And this week we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2, The Harvest. Technically Season 1, Episode 1, Part 2, but we're not going to be nitpicky like that. This show is usually very good about like Part 1, Part 2. This was, for some reason, was not part one, part two. I mean, I guess it's because obviously, well, I I don't really know how it works. If you film more than just the pilot or you film the pilot and hope and pray that it gets made, but it could be that. My guess is that it was filmed as one thing. Like it was filmed as basically a two hour pilot movie. And then when they, you know, had to break it up to go into syndication or to be able to go into syndication, because obviously they broke it up when it was still airing, they kind of had to give the second part a name. Ah, I mean, that would make sense. That's my theory. And once again, the theory is not that it's a demon. It is not that it's a demon or that it's bunnies. Mm, I think it might be bunnies. It might be bunnies. I think it's always bunnies. But yeah, that would kind of explain why it it wasn't really written and designed as a two-parter, but yep. it ended up a two-parter. Damn you, television. So I do have two updates from last week's episode. Ooh. Yes. So the first one is I did a bit of digging on the unaired pilot Willow situation. And it does look like the issue was just Riff not really melding well with the rest of the cast. Not personally, not like anyone didn't like her. Yeah. But watching it on screen, she just didn't have the chemistry that they wanted, especially with Nicholas as Xander. Well, and like, if you go back and watch it, because th- this is available, I think I watched it on YouTube. It's it's there it to YouTube. find. And yeah, it's just, she's not she's not bad. It's just there isn't that connection like there is with why am I suddenly blanking on her name? She's Allison Hannigan. There we go. On the Allison front. So how Allison actually ended up getting hired for Willow is I guess after they decided that Riff wasn't really going to work, they brought in some people to read for Willow. And the thing that got Allison the job is she was reading this line that was supposed to be Willow sounding defeated, like something didn't work. And, and the line was kind of a, well, this thing almost. And Allison actually read it as like a almost. And they loved it. They loved that she just took this and went in an opposite direction. It kind of helped them envision the way they that they really wanted Willow to be. Yeah. And that's how Allison got the part. Oh, I love Allison so much. She just makes me so happy. She is one of those people where like, if I were to find out she's a horrible person, I would be so distraught. Thankfully, so far, her and Alexis seem to be very lovely people with very lovely children. Good. They need to keep it that way or some random gay boy in New Jersey is going to cry. <laughs> and the second update I have is that I did look into the Charisma Sarah situation and confirmed that both actresses did read for the opposite role. Ha ha! I knew something and you didn't. No, I never said I didn't know you it. Shush. I said that I was blanking. No, you didn't know it. I'm taking this win. This is my one and only win. All right, fine. You can have this one and only win. <laughs> Sarah originally came in and auditioned for Cordelia, but the creative team thought she'd make a better Buffy. However, Charisma had read for Buffy and they didn't feel she was quite right, but the network loved her so much that they did offer her the role of Cordelia. I mean, but how can you not? It would have been really weird. I mean, it wouldn't have been weird if we lived in a universe where she played Buffy because that would have been what we were used to and that would have been the norm but it would have been a very different buffy yes i still think an an interesting buffy but a very different
So like with Welcome to the Hellmouth, this did air for the first time on March 10th, 1997. And I will give the synopsis that TV Guide put in for part two. TV Guide actually does call it part two. In part two of the opener, Giles and Willow learn of the town's past, while Buffy races to stop a slaughter that would herald the end of the world. I just love how we are like right off the bat, (laughs) end of the world is happening or possibly happening. You know, I mean, I'm sure if I go in the other, I don't want to get up right now. I'm sure if I run into the other room and grab my Slayer stats book, and maybe I'll do that for next week's episode, I'll make myself a note. There is probably a note of how many times the world was supposedly going to end throughout the course of the series. The answer is many. What is the plural of apocalypses? Apocalypses. Like Snuffleupaguses? Yes. Okay. I can deal with that. (laughs) We don't get a previously on for this episode, obviously, because it was shown as part of a two hour event along with Welcome to the Hellmouth. But if you are watching it in syndication or you're watching it on your streaming service or your DVDs, we do get the Slayer spiel again. And after that, we are right back in the cemetery where we left off with Luke and Buffy. And we know that there are two places where they filmed the cemetery graveyard scene. There was a cemetery in Hollywood and then there was their parking lot where they built the themselves a graveyard and I'm sure I will come across this line later and I will probably bring it up again then but I do remember I think it was Marty Noxon who would say she always knew they were filming graveyard scenes when she would show up to work and wouldn't have a parking space (laughs) because that's where the graveyard was I would be so annoyed they film in the graveyard so many times Right. I think this time though especially in the pilot I think they're in an actual cemetery because it's like vast Yes, it does seem. I wonder if it's the... um Hollywood Forever. Thank you. There we go. It's like, I wanted to... My brain went to the Hollywood Bowl and I'm like, that is not a cemetery whatsoever. I wouldn't be surprised because I would assume that would be the easiest one to get filming rights for. Yes. Yeah, I, I would not be shocked. So like I said, we're back where we left off. Buffy and Luke are fighting inside the grave. And it looks like Buffy's almost about to be toast when Luke burns his hand on the cross she's wearing. The cross Angel gave her in part one. So sometimes kids accepting presents from strangers in creepy alleyways may just save your life. Was Angel wearing gloves when he gave her the cross? Or did he like chuck it at her face? I forget. Because why didn't he get burnt? <laughs> okay. He did not like yeet it at her. It was in a box. He tossed her a velvet box. Ah, uh, see, this is why I don't get to direct things or be in the writer's room because if it were me, he would have just chucked across at her face because his hand was currently on fire. When you get hired to direct the reboot, that's what will have happen. Okay, good. I look forward to this day. Seeing this is her opportunity to escape, she does just that. And of course, in her escape, she comes across both Willow and Xander, saving each of them from a vampire attack. She then notices Jesse is missing, and with a shot of Buffy's concerned face, we launch into the credits. Buffy, who I feel is way more concerned about Jesse's well-being than either of his childhood best friends are. Okay, wait, I thought about this. The Hellmouth did not just appear there when Buffy arrived. The Hellmouth has been there the whole time. So Xander and Willow grew up with a Hellmouth fucking shit up. They might not have known the reason, but I feel like the likelihood of them having lost many a friend growing up 
was high. So they're just like, this is just a normal day. We honestly were expecting Jesse to have died like 10 years ago, but somehow he fucking made it this long. Okay, so funny enough, this is something I was thinking about earlier today. It's never presented until after Buffy comes that like weird shit happens in this town. I think cinematically it's not presented, sure, but like there's no way. Hellmouths don't move. Y you don't just get a random because then it wouldn't have stayed in freaking, I almost called it Riverdale, Sunnydale. I'm wondering, and um, I'll have to pay attention as we go through season one. Season one, we have a few things that happen. And like, yeah, I guess because the Order of Aurelius has been there for- Ever? Well, not ever, but you know. We're going to find out how long in a little bit. But yeah, I guess people always did go missing. But I wonder if what happens at the end of season one and the Hellmouth opening for that little bit, I wonder if that attracts more shit. So like you've mm -hmm. always had a vampire problem, but you don't have as much like demon problem until the Hellmouth opened and some of that like energy escaped. Sure, yes. I have a hard time believing that this town was just this like sleepy little hamlet where nothing happened and then all of a sudden people are dying left and right like there would have been more of a stink made okay but that's actually how it's presented mm. because there's not a whole lot of town in sunnydale there's not a lot to do in a one starbucks town like sunnydale and when you get to season three i know a lot of it is because what happens between her and xander but cordelia has that whole like none of this shit happened till buffy came i wish buffy had never come to sunnydale i am just i'm choosing to believe that it was happening they just accepted it as a part of life i refuse to believe this is a full teen wolf situation where someone is able to slaughter an entire fucking hospital and there are no consequences including mental health wise <sighs> i apologize but we have the mayor who's been the mayor for a million thousand years so i don't know maybe before buffy got here they were just really really good at covering up this shit exactly the mayor is a time traveler no the mayor's immortal i am deciding that he is a time traveler <laughs> Okay, well, Oz is going to contradict you when we get to season three. Oz and I will have a conversation and I'll win because I'll create a character where it's Oz, but he agrees with me. Well, I look forward to meeting Oz's twin brother who <laughs> takes your side. His name will be Zoe. I love it. But yes, so Buffy looks way more concerned than either Willow or Xander. Yes. Like I said, from there, we go into the credits, episode two. Credits are still awesome. I feel like this might become a bit of like the old secret diary series. It was a Lord of the Ring fanfic that was basically like Legolas writing in his diary, like day 308, still the prettiest. Uh, we return on the credits and we go right into the library where Giles is teaching us all about demonology. Raise your hand if you could sit and listen to Giles teach about demonology all day, because I sure could. This isn't a visual medium, but I'm raising my hand anyway. Well, thank you. So what's important here is that we learned the demons and their kind came before humans. The world began not as an Eden, but a hell. We also get the origin of vampires as they appear in the Buffyverse. The vampires are humans that have been fed on and infected by a demon. The Ooh. last pure demon to walk the earth, apparently. He fed on a human, his soul possessed them, and so they began feeding on others. So, <clears throat> once we get to the comics, we learn that the master is not descended from Malachor, who is that demon who made the first vampire. Instead, he is descended from Arceus, 
who is another of the demon lords. This is not to say that Archaeus sired the master, at least in like, we know the siring. There was, I don't think there was like a biting thing, but he says that his essence animates him. And I guess that's the whole soul of the demon possessing. I don't know. The, the way vampires are started is very weird. So <laughs> the last demon wasn't actually the last demon. So I guess the old ones like kind of went out together. I don't know. Again, this was the comics they decided this later but there are the old ones who are the demon lords and those are the ones who made the vampires and those are the ones that came attacking at the end of angel right i believe so angel i don't remember as well as buffy so it's gonna be fun when we get to angel because there are a few episodes i remember really well and the rest is like a blur like the puppet episode yes we see buffy helping xander and willow come to terms with the idea that vampires and other assorted demons exist and she goes over with them the same excuses she told herself the first time she saw a vampire rabies Check of the light, dude in desperate need of a facial. <laughs> Speaking of dudes in desperate need of a facial, we're going to go to the master's lair where Darla, well, really more Luke, is dragging Jesse down through the tunnels. Poor Jesse. Will someone please go save Jesse? No. We confirmed the previous night that the vampires took him and we're just letting it go, hoping for the best. Like, can we pretend to care about Jesse? No. I get really concerned about Jesse throughout this episode, just to warn you. Poor Jesse. Um, they present Jesse to the master, who seems quite pleased until he realizes Darla has already tasted him. Then, not so much. Look, he wanted a virgin. I do not appreciate this. Do not yell at Darla. She is my pure ray of evil sunshine. Well, then she should not have been tasting the master's snacks. Also, can we just note how small Julie looks compared to everyone else in this scene? Yes. <laughs> Which is fair, because she is 5'4", Brian Thompson is 6'3", and Eric Balfour and Mark Metcalf, who plays the master, are both 6'2". So it looks like the vampires might be catching on. Or as they describe Buffy, both Luke and the master come to the conclusion that she might be a slayer. And this is kind of what I was talking about last week where I'm shocked that Darla couldn't catch on to that. But like we said, this is probably before all that backstory was written. And so at this point, they didn't realize Darla would have crossed paths with a slayer. That's fair. We get the definition of a slayer once again as we transition back to the library and one of my favorite things, the verbal transition. <laughs> and Giles starts to go into the speech that we all know, one girl in a generation, blah, 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 blah. And Buffy just kind of was like, yeah, he loves this speech. <laughs> Which causes Giles to instead quickly sum things up with the Slayer kills vampires, Buffy is the Slayer, don't tell anyone. I'm telling everyone. Nah, you would. Yep. And oh look, they do remember Jesse. And good on Xander for wanting to get his friends back. I just feel they should have had this conversation 12 hours ago. Look, no. Just no. They don't care. They have already accepted that he's gone. This is just Xander going through the motions. So Giles doesn't think he's a sociopath. This is Xander hiding his serial killer tendencies now? No, this is just Xander hiding the fact that the town knew the whole time oh, okay. that shit was off. Because you're not going to get me to believe any other way. <laughs> okay, fine. Xander is just for Buffy and Giles pretending that this is very new information. Yes. As they discuss the problem at hand and what to do about it, Willow suggests telling the police. They don't have to say it's vampires, just a bad man. Oh, Willow. Sweet, sweet Willow. Soon you will learn the adults in this town are you useless or corrupt there really is no in between except for giles joyce and jenny 
I would like to think if I was an adult in that town, I would be uselessly corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I feel that you would, you would be the mayor's intern. I just, I wouldn't be doing anything, but I just wouldn't give a fuck. I'd be like, oh, whatever. Someone got munched on last night. Sucks to suck. Pay me. I like it. That's my motto in life. Sucks to suck. Pay me. As they try to figure out where the vampires might be holed up and keeping Jesse, they all realize the vampires never left the cemetery, at least not above the ground. This is when Xander mentions the electrical tunnels that run under the cemetery, and Willow suggests she could find the schematics via computer. Okay, it's 1997. The internet, as we know it, does not really yet exist. No, it did not. But I had a computer, and all I was doing was playing Math Blaster. I'm not saying people didn't have computers. We obviously had computers. When I was in high school, we had a computer lab and and we all went in it in our free time. And I was mostly on the Buffy posting board and or looking at Buffy and Sailor Moon websites with Jackie. (laughs) But the stuff that you can find on the internet now, you couldn't find on the internet back then. That is correct. The creative team will freely admit this. They will freely admit they used the computer for stuff you could not do with the computer in 1997. But it worked. None of us knew that this wasn't shit you could actually do. We were just like, oh, what is this mystical magical box that does things for me? Yeah, we were just basically like, oh, Willow's got cool hacker skills. Yes. But also, how does Xander know about the electrical tunnel that runs under the graveyard? Is this common knowledge? Look, you grow up in a small town and you're fucking bored enough you learn some shit about where you live to entertain yourself is this coming from personal experience yes my hometown was so boring and full of drug problems like the meth forest that wasn't in my hometown and it was a haunted forest rude back in the master's lair the vampires plus jesse are still discussing the slayer the master asks if they have any proof to which luke responds only that she fought me and then lives Okay, Luke, whatever you say, buddy. The masculinity is fragile with that one. We do learn that Luke has met a Slayer before, back in 1843s in Madrid. I checked the Slayer timeline, and none of the known Slayers line up with this information. The Slayer active in 1843 was Catherine Hogarth, a 15-year-old girl from London's East End. She could have been in Spain. You don't know her life. They could have traveled to Spain in the course of her time as a Slayer, but the Slayer just was not stationed in Spain at that time. I find it very disturbing that the Slayers are always teenage girls. Why can't they be full grown ass women? Because these shows and novels and YA material are made for teen- I saw something like this on the internet that was like, why is the chosen one always a teenager? Why isn't the chosen one like a 42 year old mom? And people were like, because a 42 year old mom is tired as shit. But the 42 year old mom would get shit done but this media is all made for teenagers fair but i as a teenager would have appreciated seeing a mom in her 40s having to save the world and just being like are you fucking kidding me are you really kidding me right now you my kids are more well behaved than you and i'm raising actual demon spawn and then she just like smacks them upside the head with a shoe so you just want the Avengers of Molly Weasley? Yes. Well, two things on that. One, now we're definitely going to have to read and do at least an episode on the Julie Kenner series because she is a vampire slayer who is a mother and has a teenage daughter and like a three-year-old son. I'm okay with this. And two, if people want to know more about the historical slayers, you can check out our social media channels because all throughout March, we did highlight several of the different slayers for Women's History Month. 
Yes, yes, we did. So Jesse is very calm during all of this. <laughs> I'm sure it's shock because the fuck is going on. But still, he's kind of just like chilling, listening to them talk about Slayers, at least until they start talking about using him as bait. And then I guess he's a little less chill. But you know, at least the bait thing means the dead thing is off the table. Maybe not the undead thing, but he won't be dead dead. So it's a plus. I just feel like if I were dragged down to a vampire lair and wasn't immediately munched upon, I would be assuming that I was about to get turned and I'd be like, sweet, I'm about to have fucking superpowers. Gimme. I can see this, like that track. Okay, bite my neck. I enjoy that. Whatever, just come on. You'd just be there like, hello, here's my delicious neck. Just full Vanna whiting and then they'd just kick me out because they'd be annoyed with me and I'm like, God damn it. You're too easy. No superpowers for you. And that's how I become a slayer because I'm pissed that they didn't give me superpowers. So I hunt them down and if they don't turn me, I kill them. Dylan the Vampire Hunter. We've now heard the origin story. Yes. <laughs> we head back above ground into the library where Willow's on the computer having found the city grid they were looking for. Giles is rather amazed that all the city plans are online for general consumption and Willow clarifies that they're not. Not really. She more stumbled upon them. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I imagine this is much in the same way as bank robbers stumble upon cash. But Willow's cuter than a bank robber. But could you just picture bank robber Willow? It would be delightful. <laughs> oh my god, it would be so cute. She wouldn't have to have a gun. She'd just walk up to the teller and be like, hi, give me your money. And they would because she's Willow. We probably should have had Willow do a lot more crime throughout the course of the series. Yes, I'll keep that in mind for my reboot. Okay, good. In recounting the fight, Buffy realizes that loot came from inside the mausoleum, meaning access to the tunnels below can also be found there. Xander's ready to go with her and get Jesse back, but she tells him it's too dangerous. She's the slayer. They're not. She's not putting them in danger. Willow, however, is desperate to help, which leads Giles to say she can help him, as they still need to figure out exactly what the harvest is. Giles also refers to the computer as that dread machine, a sentiment he admits was perhaps a bit British. Giles is 120% British. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Buffy heads out, promising to bring Jesse back if he's alive. Which, rude. Don't have to rub it in, but they obviously don't care if he's alive, so rub it in all you want. They don't care! Ugh. Okay. Giles remarks, do I have to tell you to be careful? And I just, I like to imagine Buffy during these early episodes, imagining all the times Merrick said something similar to her, seeing the similarities and the differences in her old watcher and her new watcher, and realizing Giles is someone she could work with, someone she could trust. Do we know what the timeline of the movie was? Like how long she actually worked with Merrick? I'd have to look at the comic to know what the revised timeline is. But there's definitely a mention of weeks somewhere near the end of the movie. Like Buffy had been flaking out on shit for weeks. Ah. So I'd say probably between her calling and the dance, maybe like a two month period. Like it, it's not long. It's not like a year. But like they're planning the dance this whole time. So it's probably no more than like two months. But it is a couple of weeks. Okay, carry on. Outside, Buffy is attempting to leave campus when she gets stopped by Principal Flutie, who lets her know just how very not good this looks in the nicest, flutiest way possible, of course. Buffy tries to use the excuse of Giles sending her for a book, because obviously he'd agree if he was asked, but Flutie's not having it, saying that might be how they do things in Britain, but not in Sunnydale. He also remarks they have that royal family and all those problems. <laughs> What? So it made me look into just what was going on with the royal family in 1997. Uh -huh. Apparently, 
early 1997 came about at the same time as the public opinion polls stating that the British public did not see Charles as fit to be on the throne. Oh, awkward. Yeah. So Buffy agrees. Flutie locks the gate. And he says this is the Buffy he likes to see. Sensible, with her feet planted firmly on the ground. Surprise, bitch. Yeah, about those feet. They don't seem so firmly planted on the ground to me. She flips over the fence and is off. What a great way to be like, I don't want to be at this place right now. (laughs) Just flip. Did you like my sound effect there? It wasn't successful. It was a good sound effect. But also, what happens to this fence? I don't know. Like, there's never a fence around the school ever again. They needed it just for that one moment. This is how I would run a school. If a student needed a dramatic scene with a fence, it would be there. Otherwise, no. Roll out the drama fence. Yes. I like that you just have a fence that you can bring out for drama purposes and then put back in. It's neon green and shimmers. Ooh. Inside the school, Xander and Willow are walking down the hall, coming up with different terms for Willow to enter into her internet search. It then quickly turns to how weird their life has become and how different the world seems than the day before. See? (laughs) See how weird their life has become. All I'm saying is people died. It was a part of life, and sometimes more people died than other towns. It was still just a part of life. Nothing mysterious. Just death and disappearances left and right. Okay. They also talk about how no one else knows and they have this big secret, which, while not exactly the same, has a very similar feel to Buffy's conversation with Pike in her living room in the movie. Yep. Where she talks about all the things she used to worry about and how they all seem so dumb. But speaking of Buffy, why is this conversation all about her? Other than the fact it's her show. (laughs) Shouldn't this conversation be connecting back to Xander's desire to save Jesse? No. You know, the one he supposedly had just moments earlier in the library? No, because this is not Jesse the Vampire Slayer. This is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, it's about to be Jesse the Vampire. Well, yes, but if he wanted to survive, he should have thought about that and had his own show. How was he supposed to know? That's his fault. It's all right, Jesse. I would have come saved you. I wouldn't have. I do appreciate, though, how often he seemed to work Reign of Toads into this conversation. (laughs) Is that something that would be in the newspaper? I imagine it would have to be, like, if you lived anywhere other than Sunnydale. But then all the murders make it into the paper, so we know the paper isn't on anyone's payroll. At least not yet. Buffy returns to the cemetery to investigate, and her hair is so super cute in this scene. And I just... I covet it. I covet it so hard. My hair is just too fine to ever look that cute. I will say though that I have recently once again taken up the trend of wearing like the teeny tiny butterfly clips. Good. She finds the padlocked gate, which we can assume leads to the lair. And as she reaches out to inspect it, Angel appears coming from the side where I guess another secret tunnel resides because he didn't come from where the door was. Look, he just has his way about. He dug his way out and then cleaned up real quick. And he has a moment there about, they really don't like me. Yeah, well, surprise, neither do I. I like you, Angel. I'd save you. Okay, so this is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know if it's the direction in this episode, because the angel we see here is not the angel of later episodes. Yeah. Which means this is something else I'm going to now be hyper aware of, and I'm going to just 
clock that change because right now the way he talks to Buffy the little smirks here and there is a lot more like how David played Angelus hmm. and I love Angelus I like Angelus more than Angel I am shocked so surprised but this hybrid version of Angelus and Angel I'm not loving it Okay, but this whole thing with Angel led to a conversation between Panda and I about Angel and the moment people started liking Angel. Was it here in these early episodes where he's good, but he's kind of a dick? Or was it when he was like full on brooding puppy mode? And I'll be putting the question up on Twitter once this episode drops so you guys can tell us, those of you who like Angel, what was the moment you first realized you like him? This first second he came up on the screen because he's fucking hot. Well, there you go. So you liked him the first moment he stepped out of the shadows. Yes. So it is interesting to note that the script here does make it seem like the I'm afraid line should have been delivered a little differently. In the script, there's a line that follows that talks about how the unashamed openness of that statement catches her a bit off guard. But the Hmm. way Angel delivers it is neither open nor vulnerable. However, Buffy does catch Angel in a semi-vulnerable moment after when she mentions her need to go into the tunnels because she has a friend, or at least a potential friend down there, prompting her to sarcastically ask him if he knows what it's like to have a friend. Rude Buffy. His sad and almost guilty expression leads her to realize she's hit a chord. Recovering, she asks if he's going to wish her luck before she disappears. So sassy. As Buffy descends into the tunnel, my first thought was, wow, Buffy's pants look really shiny coming down those stairs. My second thought was, and that is a rat. Nope, 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 nope. Rats are cute. Leave them be. If I am expecting the rat to be there and it is like domesticated and clean, it is very cute. If it is darting out from the shadows at me and I know it is not cute. They're always cute. As she begins to venture further down into them, Xander appears behind her. And I'm totally with Xander. I would totally choose to save my friends from vampires over chem class. I would choose to save my friends from vampires over most classes. I just really enjoy that Principal Flutie has Buffy Dar and catches when she's leaving the school, but anyone else is a free-for-all. Well, Xander didn't burn down the gym at his last school. And it's not Xander's second day there. Okay, that's fair. I also just really enjoy the idea of this librarian just sending children off to be like, fuck school, who needs an education? You're gonna die soon anyway. Bye-bye. Giles does not approve of this. You know Giles doesn't approve. Giles says, go to class, learn things. He's very British. Unless you're Buffy. In which case, it's fuck education. You're going to die soon. Toodles. Well, he can't do anything about that. That's fair. And like Xander, I probably would have brought a flashlight to the dark underground tunnels because it seems like a good thing to do. Apparently not, though. No, because things are going to see you. Well, yes, but first thought is underground tunnels, I'm going to need a flashlight. I understand that logic. My first thought is I'm not going in the underground tunnels. That is where I draw the line. Okay, seriously, underground tunnels is where you draw the line. Yes. So burned out elementary school, creepy graveyard, meth forest. Haunted forest. (laughs) But you're not going into the underground tunnel. No, because all of those other places have means of escape. You got a point. I can't falter there. That's what I thought. 
As he and Buffy walk along, they talk about the different ways vampires can be harmed and or killed, including beheading. Buffy begins to tell a story about beheading a former varsity football player when she interrupts herself and we begin a slide transition over to the library. But I kind of wanted to hear the end of that beheading story. Yes. (laughs) So, like I said, slide transition beautiful i do have some friends who are producers and i and i do kind of want to get one of them on here eventually just to talk about things like these transitions and why certain ones are chosen for certain things because some of the transitions on this show are just insane and wonderful and i think we need to talk a bit more about the technical issues but i don't have the expertise or jargon to do it properly so i want to get someone on here eventually who does we should also talk to them about why i haven't been cast in a cheesy hallmark christmas movie yet I'm a delight. Cast me. So Giles is still researching. He's lost his jacket and uh, Giles is looking good. Giles always is looking good. Just saying. In his reading, he realizes the harvest is that night. And that's something we the viewers already knew from Buffy's conversation with Angel, though I did think I forgot to mention like what night the harvest was last week. You did. Wow. Way to disappoint our fans. So we go to check on Willow, who's in computer class, along with Cordelia and Harmony. This is the first appearance of Harmony, played by Mercedes McNabb, who will go on to be on several more episodes as Buffy, as well as Angel, and who some people will obviously recognize from the Addams Family movies. Wait. Oh, shit! Yeah! She was the Girl Scout in the first movie, and she was the girl at camp in the second one. I did not recognize that until you said that. She also, I believe, was 16 years old at the time of this pilot. Harmony is a fucking gem. So from their conversation, we learn on Friday night that the bronze has no cover. Okay, which to me seems a little weird, because it seems like Friday nights would be the one night when the bronze would definitely have a cover. Look, this is also an underage fucking club, so... Okay, I'm sorry, nothing about the bronze is ever going to make sense. Exactly. After they decide their plans for the night and how they're probably going to go to the bronze, we come to rumor mill time. Complete with this dude who just appears out of nowhere like, what you talking about? And I just, I crack up every time because who is this random ass guy who's just like leaning over from behind his computer? And it's just, it's fantastic. And so Cordelia tells Harmony and anyone else who will listen all about her encounter with Buffy the night before, which Willow overhears and Willow does not appreciate. (laughs) this brings out the savage side of willow and i love it uh she tells cordelia the way to save her work is to press deliver or d-e-l but let's be honest cordelia had it coming with the who gave you permission to exist yes yes she she did don't piss off the nerds cordy they can ruin your life in ways you've never dreamed of Back in the tunnels, Buffy and Xander continue their trek, Buffy noting the lack of rats as a sign they're getting close. All this makes me think of is Lestat's line from Interview with the Vampire, All I need to find you, Louie, is follow the corpses of rats. Only here I guess it's reversed. The lack of rats mean you've found your vampires. Well, see, these rats are smart enough where they're like, uh, I want to be around these motherfuckers, and they leave. They take a few more steps, and Jesse! We're gonna finally save Jesse! Nope. Kind of. Denied. They begin to search for a way out of the tunnels, all while attempting to avoid the vampires, as Jesse tells them that they knew Buffy would come. He starts to lead them off, saying he remembered the way he was brought down, but it's all a ruse. He's now a vampire. Jesse, no! Jesse, yes! I'm just saying, they left him to die, so... 
Why the fuck not? They like wasted a lot of time between when Jesse was taken and when they decided to go get him back. Yes. Jesse tells Xander he's going to kill him right before Buffy tosses him out into the hall, slamming the door shut behind him and hopefully buying her and Xander some time to escape through the vent above. It's a bit touch and go for a moment, but they eventually make it out into the daylight and what looks like some power lines or I don't know, maybe a power plant. You have to love the zombie-esque vampires here. They're, they move very slow. Never again will they move this slow. <laughs> no, no, they will not. Our heroes should probably enjoy it while they can. Yes. Down in the master's lair, he is not happy, but it's not like it's Buffy's fault he's stuck down there. It's all her fault. He kind of needs to let it go that she's walking around and he's not. However... Fun fact, his line about them all being weak is a nod to his role in Animal House, which we learned last episode, maybe the actual first instance of the use of Yabo. The great Yabo mystery of 2021. I do love the master though, and his interaction with the other vampires. He's got this whole benevolent king, loving father mixed with complete psychopath vibe. It's fantastic. Yes, yes it is. Back in the library, Willow arrives with the results of her search. A search she centered around the big earthquake that happened back in 1937. Specific. Turns out right before it, there was a rash of murders. Murders that sound shockingly like death by vampire. Oh, you mean like what I've been saying all along? Those were right before the earthquake and it never says they continued after. They continued. So Giles is starting to put the pieces together and he doesn't like it. Okay, so phlebotinum. Remember this word. Phlebotinum is actually a term coined by David Greenwald to mean a vague mystical thing. A lot of times, whatever is going to solve the mystery on Buffy, whatever is going to make the thing happen, it's the phlebotinum. Or as we like to call it, the magical Mercedes symbol. Why is it so close to phlebotinum? Shit, now I can't fucking say it. Phlebotomy. There we go. What does phlebotomy mean? People who draw blood. You gotta... Right? Because it's a vampire show. That would be why. <laughs> Shut up. It's been a long Do day. You not like it makes sense. I didn't have coffee today. There's something else to note about David Greenwald is he apparently used to delight in standing next to a certain person and whispering in his ear about all the hate mail he was going to get based on certain scenes. Back in the master's lair, we catch the order preparing for whatever pre-harvest ritual must occur. Events that are set to what might quite possibly be the most dramatic music we have heard so far. It's the music I'm going to walk down the aisle to when I never get married. Luke goes to the master and drinks from his wrist, forging a connection between the two. My blood is your blood. My soul is your soul. Sounds a little similar to communion rites. This, I think, is what we've been talking about with the whole religious symbology and religious Mm. iconography, because we're not just seeing it in the crosses. We're not just seeing it in, like, this ruined Gothic church. This is a full-on religious ritual that's happening here, and it's very much an inverted, twisted play on... A Catholic ritual or a Christian ritual and the idea of Christian communion, the whole blood of your blood. I just want to know why this is happening now and not many years earlier, because I'm assuming Luke didn't just start working with the master, correct? I'm guessing the harvest has to happen on a certain night. Oh yes, no, sorry. I I forgot that this was all part of the the harvest. I thought this was just like Luke just pledging allegiance to the flag of the master. 
ignore me. To be fair, it's Luke, and this may be an everyday occurrence, but right now it's being framed as something to do with the harvest. Okay. So the master does the whole, my blood is your blood, my soul is my soul, and Luke's response is, my body is your instrument, which is why I said this may just be an everyday thing for Luke. And again, he's doing the thing where he like draws something on Luke's forehead in blood, and I had a moment where I was like, is he about to like draw a cross on Luke's forehead? Because that is even more out there than this weird mask thing than the vampires using amen and i'm just like hold on but the longer he was drawing the more that i realized it actually wasn't a cross i don't know what it is this episode is very dark the master's layer is very dark it's very hard to see definitely not a cross unless you know the master is actually hermione and therefore cannot draw i know what it is it's the symbols from the coach's clipboard back in the movie Oh, oh, that would make sense. It's his warlock symbols. And so the master has this line here about how he will rise and even the stars themselves will hide. And being the giant nerd and English major I am, I have to wonder if this is a reference to Macbeth, where Macbeth tells the stars to hide their fires so they will not see his dark deeds. I doubt it is, but I was just like, oh, hey, that sounds a bit like Macbeth. I wouldn't be shocked if it was. No, I wouldn't be shocked if it was. And it's not the exact same line as in Macbeth, but it has a very similar feel to it. Yeah. We leave the ritual and return to the library where Willow is still researching when Buffy and Xander return. Noticing the lack of Jesse, Willow asks if he's dead, only to have Buffy respond worse. And that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose it is worse because dead is just dead. But a vampire is is dead with a demon now wearing your face. Buffy says they arrived too late. And I'm just, I'm going to fight her on that. Because like I said, I think they wasted a lot of time. Look, they had some important exposition to make. All right. And Xander says he's going to take a stand and say vampires are not good. Giles never fails to disappoint. Buffy asks if he has anything to make this day worse. And he offers the end of the world. I also love how he just has Hellmouth written on the right board behind him like good job being subtle Giles I know that obviously there's the whole trope where no one ever comes into the library and when people do they are shocked I'm just picturing like Giles just wrote this and stood there for like three hours shooing anyone away if they got too close what's that nothing nothing goodbye it certainly does not say hellmouth and if it did say hellmouth it didn't so shut up be gone i have weird meat drinks to drink we learned from giles and willow that the earthquake back in 37 was caused by the master as he attempted to open the mouth of hell and allow the old ones back on the earth Okay, so we just said the earthquake was in 37. The master has only been down there for 60 years. I would be annoyed as shit too. Being trapped for 60 years is not cool. But if you're like as old as the master is, I don't feel like that's a long amount of time. And I feel like he needs to calm it down. Just in general, he needs to calm it the fuck down. So Giles puts on the board what the symbol of the harvest is. And it is the magical Mercedes symbol. That is what (laughs) the master was drawing on Luke's forehead. And there literally is a part in the commentary where I think he calls it the magical Mercedes symbol. And here we go with some more great phlebotanum where they have to defeat the Mercedes symbol for some reason. <laughs> so yes, every time something happens, it's just, it's the magical Mercedes symbol. Buffy says it's fine. She'll dust the vessel, Luke, and all will be well. They just need to figure out where the vampires would head. And for Xander, that's a no brainer. They're going to the bronze where there's a ton of young blood just waiting. So the group heads out and Buffy says she needs to make a short stop. 
for supplies. Okay. All through this scene, I kept getting distracted by one of the books on the shelf behind Giles. And it's the only book whose title you can read clearly, The Knife in My Hands. So I had to go look it up. It's a book by Keith Mallard, published in 1982, the year I was born. And it deals with a young man searching for meaning after losing the idealistic outlook he had whilst in college. Intentional? Not intentional? I mean, it isn't a scene where Xander is quickly having his world bubble popped, learning evil is real, and that his friend is now one of the enemy. So we get a nice little sunset shot over the mountains, very Southern California. And stopping for supplies means we've got to stop in Buffy's room. She's changed her clothes. She's about to stock up just as soon as she gets her jacket. This jacket doesn't look like it actually belongs to her. It looks like it's at least a size too big. So I like to think it could be mm. hikes. She puts on her jacket and unfortunately she runs into her mom who is not too pleased to be getting calls from the principal, especially as they haven't even finished unpacking. She decides to be a firm parent and tell Buffy no. She cannot go out tonight. All the tapes say I should get used to saying it. First there were books. Now there's tapes. She's trying so hard to live her best single mom life. Yes, yes, she is. Buffy tries to explain to her mom how important this is. You know, she's got to go out. Her mom doesn't understand. And she's trying to press that like, hi, the world could end without actually telling her mother, hi, the world could end. Joyce is ready for this. And Joyce tells her, everything feels like life and death when you're a 16 year old girl. And here I think is where we really get our first real life first monsters parallel in the show. Because not being able to do what all your friends were doing did seem like the end of the world in high school. And, and I do remember trying to explain this to my own mother. I mean, Obviously, I didn't have to go stop an apocalypse, but like if I was the only person <laughs> not allowed to go to the mall that weekend, then I'd be completely isolated from the conversations come Monday. And in high school, that's never a good thing. Nope. No, because everything is just so big and final in fucking high school. God, you could not pay me to go back. Would I want to go back? I think if I was able to know everything I know now, I'd want to go back because I could definitely change a few things. And I did love my high school, but yeah, there was, it was some rough times in there. I would like to go back to not paying bills. That would be great. I'll take that. Yeah. If there are any sugar daddies out there listening, find me. What? Is, what is your boyfriend going to say about that? He'll be fine with it. Then he can stop paying for shit for me. Love you. So as long as you have like an investor. Exactly. So we, like we were saying, uh, life and death, high school, rough time. But here that is definitely taken to the extreme because if Buffy does not go to the bronze and Buffy does not join her friends, it will literally be the end of the world. And we'll be keeping yes. an eye on these parallels, pointing them out as they come along. We do see them through the whole series. It is a theme throughout the series that several of the monsters, several of the themes of the episode do represent real life problems, but definitely some of them are more grounded in that idea than others. Joyce tells Buffy that she won't hold her need to sulk against her. And the moment she's gone, the door is locked and the trunk comes out. So y'all know I had to pause here and play what's in the trunk, just like <laughs> I did with her bag in the first half. The top of the trunk seems to be your standard memory fare. A trophy, an alarm clock, a scuba mask. Um, there's some stationery. There's an old wallet, a stuffed tiger, possibly one at some carnival. Seashells, something that looks like an old purse or two, some decorative boxes, articles of just all sorts of stuff. 
And then she moves that. And in the bottom, we have crosses, stakes, holy water, garlic, communion wafers, everything you might need to kill a vampire. The actual description of the trunk in the original script is girl stuff, memorabilia, and teen beat magazine. I did not see a Teen Beat magazine, but apparently one was supposed to be in there. I just, you know, a grown ass man wrote that description. It was like, girls shit, you know, all girls keep is piles and piles of Teen Beat magazines and trunks. So make it happen. Like, no, sir. No. I've definitely seen it on Tumblr and I've heard it mentioned a few places that people don't understand why she has communion wafers. Yeah, they burn the shit out of vampires and can be used in various ways, including stuffing them into the mouth of a vampire, much like Buffy does with her cross in season two. That feels very obvious to me. Um, Buffy stuffs a bag with what she needs and she heads out via the window. So now we're at the bronze and didn't Cordelia say there was no cover because there are definitely people paying the bouncer. Side gig. Okay. He's hustling. Yep. Is he selling some MLM products at the bronze? Yes. He's selling spook terror oils. I knew you were going to go there. I knew the bouncer was selling spook terror. Spook terror oils are my oils that I made for a one shot game that we played and never finished that my character who was a bit of a crazy cat lady, but whose husband was embodying one of her cats after he died. uh, She sold the end. I'm sure we'll hear about spook terror again. Yes. Inside, Cordy is sitting at a table explaining both why she prefers senior boys, they have cars, gross, and why she buys the most expensive thing, and it's just classic Cordelia. It's not because it's expensive, it's because it costs more. Bless her fucking heart. A song comes on and she leads the girls down to the dance floor, and over in the corner watching her is Vampire Jesse at the bronze. I'm about it. As much as I feel like we should have saved Jesse, I also do love Vampire Jesse. And I think Cordelia might be a little bit about Vampire Jesse too. They felt bad about how many lines with an S sound they gave Eric Balfour because the vampire prosthetics in these first episodes made it really hard to talk. So hard, in fact, that new ones ended up being commissioned with the old ones being given to background vampires and minions who didn't speak that much. And knowing that it is kind of obvious when you go back and watch it, that he is struggling and he is lisping the tiniest bit because of the prosthetics he's wearing. Look, it's normal. You're new to having fangs. You're going to have some syllabantesses. That's true. That is true. He is a brand new vampire. He's still getting used to the equipment. Yep. As Cordelia and Jesse dance, we take a peek outside and see Darla practically skipping as she leads the vampires to the bronze. Look at my little sunshine go. <laughs> little ray of evil. So the vampires invade and Luke takes the stage as another vampire runs upstairs to work the light. <laughs> I really wish I was making this up, but I'm not. And this just whole thing is about to get like amazing. Look, he needs to be lit correctly, okay? First off, Luke is wearing this like black velvet, like ringmaster's coat with matching pants. And I, <laughs> I just, I can't. Luke begins speaking and Cordelia turns to Jesse and Jesse is now vamped out. And Luke begins feeding on the first soul. And we just, we see the master below and the powers channeling through him. And he's just like, yes, yes, vampire veggies. I'm getting my strength. <laughs> but outside, Buffy and the others are arriving and Buffy makes it clear to the others that their purpose is to 
get the civilians out, not engage. That's fair. Buffy actually tells them not to go all wild bunch on her. And when she says wild bunch, she is of course referring to the 1969 Western film. So as they fight their way in, Giles reminds Xander that Jesse is gone. And when you see him, you're not looking at your friend, but at the thing that killed him. Luke continues to feed and the master feels the barrier weaken. Damn it, Luke. Luke is calling for all these bodies to be, like all these people to be brought up to him and all these souls to be brought up to him. Darla comes and she takes Cordy from Jesse claiming that all souls are for the master and Jesse just gets really disappointed and he's like I don't get one and just (laughs) bless your little demon heart Jesse no dum-dum you don't get shit you get rats the angle of the camera and Luke is standing in the spotlight and it just looks like he's doing some open mic night performance Mm -hmm. delivering this highly (laughs) dramatic monologue about how like daddy never played catch with him (laughs) I told you there's like a vampire working the spotlight i'm beginning to think luke has been to the bronze before and he actually frequently goes to open mic night yes he has bongos anyway while luke is playing his bongos buffy's watching from above waiting for the white moment to strike and apparently that moment is when he goes to eat cordelia after she's already thrown spotlight vamp off the catwalk poor luke who will dramatically light his monologues now no one no more monologue dropping down from above buffy lands on a pool table stakes a vamp runs up the stairs towards luke and then flips like literally the most unnecessary flip ever she had already run up the stairs but whatever we'll take it look if you could do that you would be doing it everywhere it's true giles willow and xander finally make it inside and begin ushering the people out the back spotlight vamp grabs xander and buffy tosses a symbol at him effectively decapitating him that sequence was cut when shown on the bbc interesting i wonder why they'll show dicks aplenty they have an entire fucking dating show where they literally hide you behind a screen and show your naked body from the ankles up but they can't show a vampire being pretend decapitated dicks are fine violence is not i agree buffy and luke start to fight Xander goes to save Cordelia from Jesse as she ran from Luke once Buffy dropped down and Willow and Giles find themselves facing Darla. Okay, Xander and Jesse. This scene and their arc is just so highly reminiscent of Pike and Benny in the movie. Except Xander has the harder time fighting Jesse and he's hesitating when he's going to stake him. But then this woman who's escaping knocks into Jesse and Xander's stake hits the mark anyway, killing him. And I just, I feel for Xander in that moment. Though he will apparently never think of Jesse (laughs) ever again that moment to me is very heartbreaking look their high school class started out as 400 students and now they're down to like 50 they're used to this shit meanwhile willow will toss some holy water on darla causing her to flee how dare you willow i love you but rude go willow go no don't hurt my ray of sunshine go willow go go willow go buffy and luke yes so we're back to them remember when i said that the scene between amelin and buffy at the end was originally supposed to involve a play on sunrise this is it this scene is lifted pretty much word for word from joss's original script in the movie so in the movie lothos's servant amelin tells her she'll never learn and she tells him she does know one thing what time sunrise is she pulls down a shade and it'll fly up and let in the sun only there's no sun and she stakes Amelin in the back telling him it's about in a four hours dick 
<laughs> the funny thing here is that the comics, the origin story, which is more in line with the show and becoming retcon the movie to be more like the script. So this implies that Buffy has used this trick twice. She used it on Amelyn and she's using it now on Luke. And I like it. I like that like this is a strategy Buffy knows will work. Not always, but occasionally. Solid plan. Luke is dust, the master remains trapped, and the harvest is a failure. The other vampires flee. And we see Angel like lurking outside. Seriously, Angel's just standing there lurking outside. He's not going to be helpful in any manner. No, of course not. He's a gentleman. He doesn't want to get in the lady's way. With everyone safe, our core group of Scoobies try to figure out if this means they won. And for now, they did. They averted the apocalypse. So go them. And we get yet another verbal transition as we go into the last scene, which is back in Sunnydale High. Because as they're standing in the bronze, Xander says, nothing is ever going to be the same again. And of course, the next day we see that it is a perfectly normal absolutely beautiful southern california day kids are playing frisbee milling about cordelia is telling everyone about the totally weirdo situation at the bronze and buffy has given off some serious daphne vibes in her outfit yes yes she is she's got this floral dress the purple coat she's got a pink silk scarf that she's using as a headband and i love it because not only do we have the whole scooby gang thing but like we said in the movie episode she will go on to play Daphne in the 2002 and 2004 Scooby-Doo live action movies. And I learned this morning, if TikTok is not lying to me, and I TikTok cannot lie, I trust the clock app. Apparently, there was a scene filmed where Velma and Daphne kissed, and Velma in the original script was just outright a lesbian. And I live for this. So that's why I'm believing it's true, even though it came from TikTok and it's probably not true. But in my heart, it is true. Now back to Buffy. As Xander is mystified by everyone's carrying on and, and Buffy explains that people rationalize what they can't understand, Willow says she'll never forget. And that's good because next time Giles says you'll be prepared. Because yes, there will be a next time, which Giles is just way too excited about. <laughs> like He starts going off about like, well, it might not just be vampires. Next time it could be. And I think it's just because it means Giles gets to use all his books. Yes, and it gets to me, it like he gets to lecture. And we all know he loves a good lecture. He loves a good lecture. And if I was, if I had gone to Sunnydale and I was friends with these people, I probably would have just hung out in the library all the time and been like, I'll help Giles with like these big heart eyes. Yes, same here. Like, talk at me, please. Like, hello, handsome British man. I don't care that I'm 15. I'm still going to pretend that you're going to flirt with me, even though that's not going to happen. Giles would have had like our little just group following him everywhere. We're like, I need to leave. I have been surrounded by a bunch of children that are way too interested in me. I'm going back to England. Enjoy dying. So as the three walk off, we end on probably one of Giles's most famous lines aside from shall I answer or just glare. <laughs> the earth is doomed. And uh, why do I feel like this is the tagline for our friend group? Look, we are very capable of saving the earth if we wanted to. And I just don't particularly feel like I would ever be bothered to. Do you really think we could save the earth if it came down to it? I think we could figure it out. We'd make something work. We'd at least save ourselves. Well, we'd save ourselves. I don't know if we'd save the earth. That's whatever, it happens. Like, I want to delve into, like, a whole other conversation here about, like, what role each of us would play, but I understand that itself will be an hour-long conversation. All I'm saying is I'm the one that brings around the end of the world. 
you're like the harbinger of doom. Yes. Is it like a Xander accidentally reading Latin in front of the book thing? Or are you like trying to bring about the end of the world? No, I think I do it on purpose just to see if I can. Okay, we need to talk about that. Because eh. there are some things that like, yeah, you should probably see if you could do it. And there are other things that mm, not so much. And bringing about the end of the world is definitely a not so much. Worth it. This is what I never get about villains and people who want to end the world. You're gonna die too. Eh, maybe, maybe not. If demons overrun the earth, buddy, you're dead too. I'll take my chances. As long as you understand that there's like a 90% chance you're also going to die. That's fair. That is the harvest. Other than you attempting to bring about the end of the world, do you have any final thoughts, feelings, questions? I just really love how the Scooby gang's whole, um, fuck, what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, just how quickly, like, they were able to build a believable relationship in, like, the first two episodes of a show. Like, it just, I will forever love the the Scooby gang and uh, every person that gets added to it. But, like, the, the four of them, I just, I, they're, they're great. I, I really loved getting to see their origin story again. That's just about it for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next time when we take on episode three. And I know Dylan is super excited about this yes. because it's the witch. I love this episode. You get very excited when things get witchy. Yes. Yes, I do. Until then, you can check out our various social media channels, um, all of which are listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review, or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Toodles! Toodles!